Amanda, remember that time one of America's greatest child stars was also a diplomat? time in historical podcast i'm your host amanda webb and i'm your host anna webb and this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about all their favorite moments in history and today we're gonna talk about shirley temple oh boy this will be a fun one yeah i've been kind of thinking about doing this one for a while and so i decided this was the week sure sure last week before spooky week or spooky month rather sorry spooky month spooky month my kids the other day came into class and we were talking about fall and somebody was saying like that they were going to their aunt's house and it was haunted and i was like "Ooh, it's spooky (laughs) and they all were like stop and i was like no you're embarrassing them i was like i'm about to you guys don't know i'm about to become insufferable because it's spooky time (laughs) it's about to get all spooky up in here yep Oh, uh, would you like a non-spooky drink update? <laughs> yes, please. I'm having some red wine because it has been quite a day and I uh, wanted a drink. <laughs> I considered a drink, but I uh, was just, I don't know, feeling lazy. So I'm drinking water. <laughs> well, we have learned that when you deviate, it can sometimes cause technical difficulties. So it's probably good. And I don't have the energy for that. <laughs> exactly. So. Exactly. Um, well, then, are you ready to go? Yeah, let's dive in. Let's talk about Shirley Temple. So, Shirley Jane Temple is born on April 23rd, 1928 in Santa Monica, California. Um, her father is George Temple. He's a bank employee. And her mother is Gertrude Temple. And she's a homemaker. It Two things. Yep. One. It feels odd to hear the last name Temple not with Shirley. Just yeah, sounds wrong. I don't fair. like it in my ears. Also, a home a homemaker. What do you mean by that? Oh, that just means like a stay at home. Like that's what they used to call women who just stayed, took care of the home and didn't have a That's job. what I thought. But there was part of my brain that was like, like an interior designer. Oh, no, no like but old, that would be amazing. Well, but like that could potentially could have been an old word for that. You know what I mean? So that I would be amazing. Like, I was like, hold on. But anyway. <laughs> like a dream maker. Yeah. But a homemaker. Oh, I live for that. <laughs> Yeah, no, it just is what they called women um, back then who didn't have jobs, which Got was it. common. Got it. Um, she has two brothers, John and George Jr. And when she's young, her family moves to Brentwood, which is in L.A., which you mm-hmm. might be familiar with because it is the neighborhood where O.J. Simpson lived and that whole gig went down. Sure, uh, sure, sure, sure. Lots sure. of famous people live in Brentwood. Mm-hmm. Um, Shirley's mother encourages her to develop her singing and dancing and acting talents. So in September of 1931, she's three and she's enrolled in Meglin's Dance School in Los Angeles. So this is when she starts taking like dance lessons. Got it. Um, and this is around the time when her mother starts styling her hair in the ringlet curls, which are now very famous. Sure. I had those naturallys when I was very, very small. We used to call your girls Shirley Temple girls. Yes, I remember. so cute. 
I miss my curls. I loved your little curls. Mm-hmm. I remember you grew your hair out and it was really long for a while. And then we were like, I wonder if it, if we cut it off, if it would curl back up like that. It didn't. I think all the time about the fact that um, I, if I would have known how to take care of curly hair in my adolescence, my hair probably wouldn't have been as frizzy as it was. It yeah. would, probably would have had some like nice waves or some very loose curls, but I just didn't know how to take care of it. Yeah. So instead I cut it all off and that was worthwhile. We just, we just kept dying it. Yeah. And, and then you were afraid to cut it off, but you were sick of trying to deal with it. And I had to convince you that it would be okay if you cut it short. Yep. And <laughs> I never much prefer back. it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> She, uh, Shirley is at one point, um, doing like a dance performance at the school and she is spotted by a casting director, Charles Lamont, and he's a casting director at a company called Educational Pictures. Okay. He likes her and invites her to audition for him, um, and then signs her to a contract in 1932. Because this is still the time of actors working under contract for a studio and Correct. being loaned out, right? We yep. talked about that a lot. Yeah, in and the it, we're going to talk about episode. it more here, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so here's what educational pictures creates. Great. They, I was I was <laughs> waiting for this. <laughs> they have a series called Baby Burlesques. Um, They're 10-minute comedy shorts that, like, spoof films. Oh. So there's one where it's like she is playing like a Mae West type character. She's like a saloon girl and they're like spoofing a Mae West film. Got it. And all the roles are paid, played by like preschool aged kids. Okay, yes. It's like um in Big Fat Quiz every year when they have the children <laughs> act out the of- The Mitchellbrook Primary School. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's that. It's that except um like- Probably pretty inappropriate. And produced, like, and properly produced. And they're younger. Produced. They're yeah. not just elementary school kids. They're younger than that. They're, like, preschool-aged kids. Good like, Lord. she's four. Yikes. Um, but in any case, Shirley becomes the breakout star of these series. And so they promote her to be part of another series that are, like, 20-minute comedies and they're called The Frolics of Youth. So she's in lots of these little films. Okay. Um, and just here's something I found interesting about the production company. Um, be, to underwrite the production costs there, they would have, you know, Shirley and the other child stars modeling for, like, breakfast cereals and stuff. Like, that's how they would pay their bills, basically. Okay. Yeah. So we're off to a great start in terms of treating children very well here right and it's it's (laughs) called educational pictures not because they're making educational pictures but because they work with children correct actors correct great yeah super good and ethical yeah so while she's working there she's also loaned out to other um studios uh, in 1932, she's lo- lent out to Tower Productions for a small role in her first feature film, which is called The Red-Haired Alibi. Um, and in 1933, she is lent out to Paramount, Universal, and Warner Brothers for different, you know, films that she's in. Uh-huh. And then in 1933, the big break happens. 
Fox film songwriter Jay Gourney is leaving one of these viewings of the Frolics of Youth, you know, films. Uh-huh. And he sees her dancing in the movie theater lobby and recognizes her. Oh, that's the girl from the movie. Really liked her. And so he arranges for her to have a screen test for the movie Stand Up and Cheer. Um, so she auditions for that on December 7th. And she's given the part. And she gets a $150 per week contract from Fox Film Corporation. She's five years old. Correct. Wow. Um, And by the end of 1933, on December 21st, her contract is extended to a year instead of the week by week. Um, And it's the same $150 per week, you know, Uh, pay but it's for a year-long contract and then there's a seven-year option in the contract which means Mm -hmm. they could sign her for an additional you know however six years Mm -hmm. and then her mother gertrude is hired um as her hairdresser and like her personal like coach like acting coach and she's hired for 25 dollars per week okay i'm so concerned about all of it well So, in 1934, Stand Up and Cheer, this film that she has just made, is released. Huge hit for Shirley Temple. Her breakout role. They love her. There's a scene in the film, there's a little skit where she is performing with James Dunn, who was a big star for Fox at Mm -hmm. the time, and they sing and tap dance. And this is, like, the big hit of the the picture. Everybody loves it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so then the, they rush to make another movie with her and James Dunn and it's called Baby Take a Bow, which is the name of the song that they performed. Uh, um, and so that's the big do hit. that in oh, Hollywood. Yeah. You know, yeah. they would just take one thing that worked from a movie and just make a whole movie based off of the one thing. Yep. hundred percent. I don't know. Yeah, so that becomes her second film. And then this is shortly followed by her third film, which is also with James Dunn, and it's called Bright Eyes, and it was written specifically for her. So she's becoming a big star Mm -hmm. pretty quickly. So after the success of her first couple of films, uh, Shirley's parents realize um, she is not getting paid enough money for the amount that she is working. So weird to think about the fact that this child is making more money in a week probably than I do. <laughs> oh my I mean, god, definitely more money, than I do. You know? Definitely more than I do. Mm-hmm. And she's five, well, six at this point. Yeah. So she's doing all this work. She's not getting paid you know, enough for the amount of work she's doing. Plus, her image is being used on, like, commercial products without her permission or her Uh, parents' permission. Ah, yes. Or any other compensation. Yes. And she's a huge star. People want to buy stuff with her, you know, being used to sell it. Uh Uh-huh. So her parents hire a lawyer. His name is Lloyd Wright. And on July 18th, 1934, he helps them to um, negotiate a new salary which is raised to $1,000 per week. Oh, that's a great deal more money. Well, we're going to talk about it again here in a second. And her mom's salary is raised to two fifty per week. Because remember, oh. her mom is also working there. She was getting yeah. paid $25 a week. Yeah. Um, and then there's an additional $15,000 bonus for each finished film that she wow. makes. 
So here's what that is close to now, just for, we're going to talk about 2019 money, because that's the last time I, you know, that's where I was able to find You could find the, right, yeah. Right. So the $1,000 weekly salary had the economic value of 123000 in like a week? today's money. A week? And the bonus is now equal to 296000 I don't make, and I make a and so the entirety of, of it. Yeah, the entirety of it basically has the purchasing power of one point eight five million dollars. Oh my god! That's so. That's what she was worth at this time. And remember, wow. it's the '30s, so like a quarter could buy you a meal. Like yeah. that's how much she's worth. It's also so interesting though, because like. She's a huge movie star and she's worth that much in, in like, those money standards. But then you think about movie stars now who are, like, that's very, very little money for a movie star to be worth now. Now movie stars are worth 20, 30, 40 million dollars and up, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... But then as part of the legal proceedings, they also send out cease and desist letters to, like, all these companies that are using their her licensing and then they start trying to get her image like licensed so that third movie that we were talking about that was written for her bright eyes it's released on december 28th 1934 it's her first like i said film that was written for her and her name appears over the title Uh um for the first time and this is where we hear her signature song on the good ship lollipop which was one of my favorites Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going <laughs> to sing it. Um, and the sheet music, like, sold 500,000 copies of that song after this wow. movie came out. Okay. Um, I loved that song. I used to listen to it all the time. So, um, in February of 1935, Shirley Temple becomes the first child star to receive a special Juvenile Academy Award. Huh. Um, for her outstanding contribution as a juvenile performer in motion pictures during 1934. Huh. Um, and by the way, I got a lot of this from, uh, her website, uh, well, the website about her, shirleytemple.com. So if you're looking for more info. Um, so she has more, uh, hits during the 30s. Curly Top and Heidi are two of the big ones. Um, and they start licensing merchandise, um, dolls, dishes, clothing. I have more that we'll talk about later, just so we can get, like, the scope of how much stuff they sold with, like, her face on it. Right, but this is when it starts. Uh, Right. Um, and I just, like, found this quote interesting, so I'm gonna read it. Um, her film titles are a clue to the way she was marketed. Curly Top and Dimples and her quote-unquote little pictures, such as The Little Colonel and The Littlest Rebel. Shirley often played a fixer-upper, a precocious Cupid, or the good fairy in these films, reuniting her estranged parents or smoothing out the wrinkles in the romances of young couples. Elements of the traditional fairy tale were woven into her films. Wholesome goodness triumphing over meanness and evil, for example, or wealth over poverty, poverty, marriage over divorce, or a booming economy over a depressed one. Because remember, it's the 30s, baby. Mm -hmm. Things aren't great. I also find this really interesting because, like, her movies 
are like she's the star, but they're not children's films. Oh, they're not for kids. No. no oh, I mean, they're f- like family movies, right? But they're still like plots written by and for adults. They're just starring a really charismatic child instead of a charismatic as adult. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's I mean, so I interesting. Used to, I used to watch them. Uh-huh. Um, but th- when I was a kid, so it I wasn't just have like vivid memories of the commercials for the Shirley Temple box set. <laughs> oh yes, the Shirley Temple box set was advertised a lot during vivid, the nineties. Vivid early 2000s. memories, yeah. vivid memories of on those the boxes. Good, they'd play her singing on the good ship lollipop. She's in her uh-huh. little like overalls uh-huh. and, and yeah. animal crackers, crackers in, in my, my soup. soup. Yeah, I'll yes. have a mention of that later too. I think, um, yeah, that was very vivid on, on our TV all the time, yes. I feel like. So by 1935, Fox Films merges with 20th Century Pictures, and this huh. is how we get 20th, 20th Century, Century Fox. Fox. Okay. And Shirley is one of their biggest stars right off the bat, because she's already signed to them, essentially. Um, there's a team of 19 writers dedicated to her. They're known as the Shirley Temple Story Development Team. Oh, my God. Um, and they've made 11 original stories and some adaptations of the classics for her to perform in. 19 writers just for her. Yeah. That's wild. Um, this is also interesting. A Fox executive built her a four-room bungalow at the studio with a garden, a picket fence, a tree with a swing, and a rabbit pin. And the huh. living room wall was painted with a mural depicting her as a fairy tale princess wearing a golden star on her head. All of this has to be really great for a young child's Oh my god. Yeah, really great. Just spoil the heck out of them and then work the heck out of them. And she's what, like seven at this point? Yeah, it's uh, I, yeah, oh 1935. Man. I'm so, thinking about yeah. the seven-year-olds that I know. And yeah. if we treated them like this, it would be interesting. Uh-huh. Yep. The seven-year-olds I know. <laughs> I mean, I work in an elementary I know. school. <laughs> this made me laugh. Um, okay. So as part of that new contract that they negotiated in 1934, um, her parents agreed to four films a year. Um, and so a bunch of films came after that contract. Um, now and forever, um, the little Colonel, our little girl, Curly Top, um, and the littlest rebel. Those are all in 1935. And then in 1936, Captain January, poor little rich girl, Dimples and Stowaway. Um, so by the end of 1935, because she is appearing in a lot of films, uh, her salary is increased to 2,500 per week. Good Lord. And here's a little more about the merchandise. She's got tons of merchandising um, by now. So there's a doll wearing her little polka dot dress that she wore in Stand Up and Cheer. Um, A mug, pitcher, and cereal bowl set that's released with um, Wheaties. Oh, of course. That's classic. Um, There's a line of girls' dresses. There are also, like, accessories and songbooks and that kind of thing. Um, before the end of 1935, her income from licensed merchandise um, would exceed $100,000, which basically doubled her income from her movies. Ooh, wow, that's so much money. And in 1936, her income from royalties topped $200,000. Good 
Good Lord. In the 30s. In the 30s. There's a depression happening. Exactly. Nobody's doing great right now, except for Shirley Temple. (laughs) Right? She also endorses um, Postal Telegraph, Sperry Drifted Snow Flower, like flour, like Uh baking substance, Uh Um, the Grunno Teledial uh, Radio. Okay. Quaker puffed wheat, of course. Of course. General Electric, of, of course. course. <laughs> and Packard Automobiles. Wow. She's like um, a spokesperson for these major corporations, basically. That is wild. That um, is wild. She, from the ages three to ten, she appears in 29 films. From three to ten years old. Correct. That's too many. <laughs> yes, I agree. Um, in 1939, she stars in The Little Princess, an adaptation of the novel A Little Princess. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is her first Technicolor feature. Sure. One of my favorite stories, by the way, A Little Princess. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is an interesting fact that I think some people know, but I don't know how many people. Um, so they're convinced that she's going to make a really good transition from child star to teen star. Um, so the executives decline a very substantial offer from, to loan her out to MGM for her to be Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. They say, nah, she's going to be too big for that. So wild. And instead they cast her in Susanna of the Mounties, which becomes her last like big moneymaker for 20th Century Fox. That's so wild to think of too, because like if you think of The Wizard of Oz book... She probably was much closer in age mm-hmm. to the character of Dorothy. Yeah. And obviously the Wizard of Oz movie is perfect and Oh yeah. Absolutely like that even though she's older than she's meant to be, she still captures I mean, it Judy perfectly. Garland is perfection. In yeah. That film. But like it would have been oddly a more faithful adaptation of the book where she But but it just tells it. you it just tells you how much they didn't think that film was gonna be big. Mm-hmm. They didn't think it was going to be big enough for her, basically. Mm-hmm. They were like, no, 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 she's too big of a star to do that. Mm-hmm. Which is like, yikes. It's, I like pa- it's like passing on the Beatles. Yeah. I referenced that movie in class today and like one of my kids hadn't seen it. And I was like, oh, you wound me. I thought you were going to say only one of them had seen it. And I was like, no. oh, God. No. <laughs> Panic. So here's another interesting tidbit. So in 1940... Lester Cohen, who's an independent film producer. An indefilment? Yep. He buys the screen rights to F. Scott Fitzgerald's Babylon Revisited and other stories for $80, which is a steal. Uh Fitzgerald at this point is like, well, my screenwriting days are pretty much behind me because he had been screenwriting for a while. Um, But... He eventually accepts Cowan's offer to write the screenplay. Screenplay, Jesus Lord. And they title it Cosmopolitan, which is based on, like, the short story. Um, so after they finish the screenplay, Cowan tells F. Scott Fitzgerald he doesn't want to do the film unless Shirley Temple stars in the lead role. And Fitzgerald is like, no. Um... She's much too worldly. She's experienced too much to play this very innocent uh-huh. part. And it's going to take away from the story. 
And then he meets Shirley Temple and he's like, mm, okay, actually, we could do that. Um, and he tries to convince her mom to, t- to let her take the part and her mom says no. And then wow. eventually the project is shelved. But this, but also, like, they've reached the point now where they're like, she's too big for that. Like, she's getting all these good opportunities, yes. and they're like, she's too big for that. From and then F- they're losing. F. Scott Fitzgerald, one of the biggest, you know, authors of the time, yeah. and still. They're losing opportunities that would have made her last longer because yeah. they think she's too big for that. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Exactly. So, in 1940. She stars in two more films for 20th Century Fox, The Bluebird and um, and Young People. And they're both flops. They don't make any money. And so her parents buy out the rest of her contract. She's 12 and her parents have bought out the rest of her contract. Wow. Um, so they actually send her to school after this. She is sent to Westlake School for Girls, which is like a country day school in L.A., um and at the studio her bungalow that they made for her is renovated and all traces of her are basically gone and that building is reassigned as an office that is so wild to go from being like a one of the biggest stars in america to just being like okay well now you got to go to school you're 12 years old you've had no social experience with other children your age who aren't in show business have fun at school. Like, and then on top of that, this studio who you have now made so much money for is just going to erase every and just sign of you. Yeah. And don't you think that now maybe they regret that now that she's such a massive star? Like, they could make that a tourist attraction. Yeah. If they and had kept people it. would go see it. But yeah. I bet you there's recreations of it in the world. For, yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't look that up, but you're probably right. But mm-hmm. still, they could have had the original. Yeah. Like, this is where she was, and people would go to see that, and they got Oh, yeah, for sure. So after she leaves 20th Century Fox, um, she signs with MGM, and initially the plan is to team her up with Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney for Ah. some films. Um, It doesn't play out. It's a whole thing. I don't want to get too deep into it, but essentially she goes into a meeting in one of the producer's offices, and he... um, exposes himself to oh, her good and so she's like no, actually no. i'm good um no. her only film for mgm was uh kathleen which was in 1941 and that's about an unhappy teenager like really cool description um and it's not a success and they cancel her very short contract mm. um mutually they decide they're not going to move forward um on march 4th 1942 she stars in her own radio series on cbs it's called junior miss and it's like a a serial series so she's like playing a part Mm -hmm. in it um so remember how we said from the ages of three to ten she starred in 29 films Uh uh-huh okay so from the ages of 14 to 21 she only stars in 14 which is wow. a pretty big difference from how it's much about work half she was getting as many films in the same amount of time about the same amount of time yeah. close to the same amount of time so in 1943 shirley meets john agar an, Ar- an army air corps sergeant um a physical training instructor and a member of the Sh- a, a chicago meatpacking family um, he is very, very rich. 
And, and so on, is she. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty rich. And on September 19th, 1945, they get married. She's 17 and he's 24. Wow. Which is not the worst age difference no, we've ever seen. No, but it's honestly, still not great. Yeah, like that's for and for that time period, that is not bad. But my hang up is that adults shouldn't be marrying 17-year-olds. No, absolutely I agree. But you know. Um, so on January 30th, 1948, Shirley gives birth to her daughter, Linda Susan. It's very weird for me to think of her as an adult. Oh, girl, just, we're going to get into lots of her as an adult I know, here. it's just so odd. I just only have context for her in my brain as a child. Yeah. Well, don't worry, she looked the same, just without the curls. <laughs> um, but by December 5th, 1949... Shirley and John decide they're going to get a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't read too much into what happened with their marriage. I don't think it really matters. Um, she gets custody of their daughter and they go their separate ways. Um, and then in January of 1950, so not long after, she meets Charles Alden Black, a World War II Navy intelligence offer an officer and Silver Star recipient who is the assistant to the president of the Hawaiian Pineapple Company. So also very rich. pretty rich. Um, he's the son of James Black, um, who is the president and later chairman of Pacific Gas and Electric. Oh, so rich. So he's rich. He rich. He's one of the richest young men in California at this time. Um, and they get married on December 16th, 1950. Um, on the same day, according to my research, at age 22, she officially announces her retirement from the film industry. Wow. So by age 22, she has retired as an actress. Imagine being my age and retiring from anything. <laughs> no. I wish. My God, if only. If I could have retired at 22, I mean, I never got started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, look, I'm just going to talk a little bit more about her career before, her acting career before we move on. Because throughout her acting career, there were lots of rumors about her. One of the most famous, which actually I knew about before I did this research, is that she's not actually a child, but that she is, quote, a 30-year-old dwarf, which is not a word we would use now, but that's what they said then. Um, And they mostly come from the fact that people think she's actually an adult because she's never shown, like, to be losing any teeth. But of course, the explanation is that she's wearing dental plates and caps to cover up the holes in her teeth. Yeah. Because she's a child star. And because it's movies and we put makeup on people. Like, what right, are you talking exactly. about? Of exactly. course she's never missing any she- teeth. <laughs> and then there are also rumors that her her hair is not real. Her curls are actually a wig. Uh-huh. And fran- fans would frequently yank on her hair to see if it was real. Oh, uh, that's not like, great. Okay. And this quote said, she later said she wished all she had to do was wear a wig. The nightly process she endured in the setting of her curls was tedious and grueling with weekly vinegar rinses that stung her eyes. Good Lord. That's some real um, Jojo Siwa energy. Oh, big time. Big time. Okay, so she's married and she and her husband moved to Washington, D.C., And then the Korean War breaks out, and her husband is called back to the Navy. Right. Um, 
On April 28, 1952, she gives birth to their son, Charles Alden Black Jr. Um, and then after the war, her family returns to California in May of 1953. Um, and her husband manages a television station, KABC-TV in Los Angeles. And she becomes a homemaker. Um, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, she married rich, so I guess she can. And and made a lot of money when she was very young. Right. Um, <clears throat> on April 9th, 1954, she gives birth to her other daughter, Lori, who later becomes like a drummer in a band. I think that's what she ended up doing. Huh. Um, I can't remember what band, though. Off the top of my head. Maybe it was a bass player. Either way, she joins a band. One um, of the, what, what you're telling me is one of the gay ones. <laughs> Yeah, probably. Drummer or bass. <laughs> yeah, probably. One of those two, I I think. <laughs> um, so in 1958, she returns to showbiz briefly. She has a two-season television anthology series of fairy tale adaptations huh. called Shirley Temple Storybook. Oh, that's nice. I like that. And her son actually makes his acting debut in the Christmas episode, which is Mother Goose. Huh. It was kind of popular, but not, like, a huge hit, you know? Mm. Um, she also makes some guest appearances on TV shows in the early 60s. Uh, she films a pilot for a sitcom that's never released. Um, but she does sit on the boards of corporations and, and organizations, including the Walt Disney Company, huh. Del Monte Foods, and the National Wildlife Federation. Huh. So she was still a busy lady. That's so interesting. And then, in the late 60s, she becomes very active in the California Republican Party. Huh. Um, So, in 1967, she runs for a special election in California's 11th Congressional District. She doesn't win, um, but the seat was left vacant because the person who held it passed away from uh, leukemia. Um, So, she runs in that election. I think she came in, like, third or something in the primary, and I can't remember where she came in in the general but she didn't win um but after that run she is noticed at a party by henry kissinger i also have opinions about (laughs) but he overhears her talking about southwest africa and he's like i can't believe this young woman knows about foreign affairs because you know he's henry kissinger Uh um and so he is very impressed by her and she is then appointed as a delegate to the 24th United Nations General Assembly in December of 1969, when we went to the moon, um, and uh, by, by Richard Nixon. And then she's appointed as U.S. Ambassador to Ghana um, from 1974 to 76 by Gerald Ford. Huh. This is so interesting. Yeah, I know. She's the beginning of this episode and the back half of this episode are <laughs> Very wildly different, different stories. Yeah. Just thinking about her being an adult at the same time that Richard Nixon was president is whack. <laughs> yeah, because we just think of her as a little kid. Yeah, I think of her as a child in the 30s, so specifically. Mm-hmm. And logically, I know that that then means that she was an adult in the 60s, but like, no, she right. wasn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, during the 70s, from 1976 to 77, she's appointed the first female chief of protocol of the United States. Huh. And she is actually in charge of arrangements for 
President Jimmy Carter's inauguration and the inaugural ball. This is so interesting. (laughs) So she done did that. And then from 1989 to 1992, by the way, 92 is the year I was born. So we're up to that point now. What the heck? She serves as the U.S. ambassador to Czechoslovakia, who, and she's appointed by George H.W. Bush, who was the president when I was born. How was she? That's wild. And she was the first and only woman to hold this position. Huh. You can't just say Shirley Temple and George H.W. Bush in the same sentence. That doesn't make any sense. She was in Czechoslovakia, like the day the soviets invaded like she was there for that so she does she was it's that it's that thing when you tell people that anne frank and martin luther king jr were born the same year it's that thing that happens to your brains where you just go no they weren't (laughs) yeah those are two different spots in time but yeah yeah Yeah. um to just jump back a little bit because we were just going through like her political appointments there Mm -hmm. um in 1972 at age 44 she's actually diagnosed with breast cancer Mm. um she has a successful surgery for it and um but it's huge because at the time people didn't really talk about breast cancer but she like talked openly about her um her surgery i think she went on a radio show or something to talk about it um and so it really just improved the public discourse around um raising awareness to reduce the stigma around breast cancer so she was like a very big part of kind of starting that movement to really talk about it wow yeah um, she receives lots of awards and honors throughout her life. Obviously, we talked about that Juvenile Academy Award. Um, she also receives a Life Achievement Award from the American Center for Films for Children. And she receives the National Board of Review Career Achievement Award, a Kennedy Center honor. She wow. was honored at the Kennedy Center. And a Screen Actors Guild Life Achievement Award. Wow. On March 14th of 1925, she got to put her handprints um, outside the Chinese theater in Hollywood. Uh-huh. And on February 8th of 1960, she received her walk on the Hollywood star, um, Walk of Fame. Her you, star you s- on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. There it is. On September 11th, 2002, a life-size bronze statue of her as a child is erected on the Fox Studio lot. So they do have that. Huh. Um, and she also, of course, has the mocktail named after her, the Shirley Temple. Oh, heck yeah. Um, she always said it was too sweet. She didn't like it. And in 1988, she actually brought a lawsuit to prevent a bottled soda from, a uh, version of it from using her name, which is huh. crazy to think about because it's is, like everywhere now. That is really crazy to think about. I, oh, loved a Shirley Temple I as know. a child. I still I, do pounded those at my friend's bar mitzvah (laughs) pounded those you loved a shirley temple and an orange soda yes i loved a shirley temple too everywhere if we had a wedding to go to or Uh even a funeral or something i was like shirley temple on the rocks please thank you i have a distinct memory of being at the blenner hassett Mm-hmm. at my friend's bar mitzvah and all of the adults going to the bar and getting alcohol and all of the children going to the bar and getting just so many Shirley Temples. Well, the alcoholic version is a Shirley Temple Black, I think. And I don't remember what it has in it. Rum, maybe? I can't remember. Let me look it up. Hold on. Oh, if it has, I would destroy that. If That, that has might not be it. it. 
If it has anything else in it, I have no interest. <laughs> I gotta figure it out now. Hold uh-huh. on. Hold on. Um, vodka. Dang. Which is also good. Anyway, so she has the drink named after her. Um, On February 10th, 2014, Shirley Temple dies at the age of 85 from COPD, which, if you don't know, is like a lung disease. Mm -hmm. Um, She was a lifelong smoker. Um, She never displayed her habit publicly because she didn't want to set a bad example because most of her fans were kids. Um, And she's buried at Alta Mesa Memorial Park, which is in California. Wow, so. I can't believe it. 2014 is when she died. I know. That's really wild to think about. Well, I also still think 2014 was like, you know, six years ago. So, or two years ago. Yeah, I also, also I also do because my brain is stuck in 2016 eternally. Well, 2014 unitive. is the year I graduated from college. So I just think it like just happened. 2016 is the year I started college. So. God. Yeah. Oh, God. That makes me feel old. Anyway. But that's Shirley Temple. Wow. She's so interesting because, you know, I think about all of the politicians in the world that used to be stars and how bad Mm -hmm. that is and how badly they do. But for her, she got into politics as an adult, but she was a star as a child. So she had like a huge gap in between where she could just be a person. (laughs) Yes, that is true. And I, I, I bet you that made her a better, like better at working in politics. Yeah, you're probably right. And plus, she didn't she only ran for office once. So, right. she didn't hold like a publicly elected office, no, which is she, a she, different type of like political power, you because know. Because there is a, a certain amount of stardom in that. That didn't right. really by the time she was interested in working in politics, it seemed like she was past that point of Nobody voted for Shirley Temple to hold position and and, and, and you can you imagine if you oh my had? God. Can you imagine? I am not a Republican, but I feel like I would have to vote for Shirley Temple just because she's Shirley Temple, and therein lies the problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. That is, in fact, the issue. I was a big fan, man. I remember watching the black and white movies um, mm-hmm. at my my friend, her stepmom's mom or grandma, I can't remember which, we would go visit her, and we would always watch the Shirley Temple uh, movies there. Um, and then grandma and I used to sing animal crackers in my suit. Of course. Because I had it on a cassette tape Mm -hmm. and we would sing that. I, I have very little, I I know I've seen several of the movies. I have very little memory of them though, because my big memory associated with Shirley Temple is those commercials. (laughs) Yeah. The infomercials for her. Big time. Box set. Yeah. Yeah. They would play clips from the movies and her just kind of march dancing yeah you know how she would do yep 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 and the tap so scenes cute. and whatever and then just animal crackers on loop baby yep yep and then when we called your girl shirley temple girls because oh. i remember doing that I yeah remember i do too that you had full shirley temple curls i really really aggressively did they were so cute <laughs> oh man well that's shirley she was very interesting lady yeah that was a good one i I didn't really know very much about her life past stardom and And you lived a long time which is more than we can say for a lot of child stars yeah and and you know i'm sure that she dealt with her share of horrors in hollywood but as it goes for a child star that was not that bad 
It could have been significantly she worse. She could have gone down a very different road mm-hmm. than she did. She could have endured a lot more abuse in her childhood, and she could have been in a lot more pain as an adult. Well, wait till I do an episode on Judy Garland, because I almost did one on her this time, and I'm going to save it, but that's... Uh, that's a different story. Very different outcome. Yeah. yeah. Oh, very different outcome. So, yeah. It's a good one. I enjoyed researching her. Yeah. Um, she's cool. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so next month, spooky it's spooky month. season, baby. It's you coming. got the first spooky episode. Oh, God, what am I going to talk about for I the spookies? Know. I think I have an idea for mine, because I I've think we talked about it recently. But I've got um, a couple. We shall see. It's our favorite time of the year, besides Christmas. Um, but... Oh, God, we're going to have to start thinking about holiday episodes, too. Hey, folks, friends, <laughs> here's something. Okay, we've done some specific holiday episodes. I know it's a long way out, but listen, we need help with this year's holiday episodes, I think. Because in the past, what we have done is we did one episode as a special where we teamed up and we talked about different holiday traditions and their histories. And then the next year we did a couple different episodes where we talked about like Christmas. Different wintertime holidays. Uh, Yes, different holidays and their histories. And then we once again teamed up to do a special episode, just one where we went back and forth and presented a couple different topics. So what would you like to hear this year for our holiday themed episodes? Because I don't have any ideas whatsoever and it's not that far away frankly so (laughs) in terms of the amount of episodes we record it's really not far away no it's not so help us out Mm -hmm. (laughs) what do you want what do you want (laughs) and if you have suggestions for that or anything else um you can email us at remember that pod at gmail.com you can also find us on Twitter at RTT Pod or on Facebook. Just search the name of the podcast. Um, we would love it if you would leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you want to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Ooh, that was a lot I just said very yeah. quickly. Uh-huh. It comes and goes like that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. Don't it always um, seem to go. <laughs> You don't know what you got till it's gone. Uh-huh. Um, so that's it for the month of September. And here come the spooky episodes. And until that next spooky time. Remember that time. Remember that time.